Welcome, People's Church. Great to see you in God's house today. I want to welcome those joining us at the Midwest City campus. We're glad that you're with us. If you're new here at People's Church, we're just one church, but we have two locations here and one in Midwest City. I also want to jo- uh, welcome those joining us online around the world. We're so glad that you decided to be with us today. The title of my message is this, In Remembrance of Me. In Remembrance of Me. I want to read to you today from Luke chapter number 22. And Jesus in this passage of scripture sets up what we know as communion. And you heard pastor say it, we're going to celebrate communion today. We're going to take that together as a church family. And here is where Jesus instituted communion and, and explained what it was about. Luke 22 and verse number 14. The Bible says, and when the hour came, he reclined at table. That's Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer or before I die. Now, up to this point, this meal that Jesus is eating with his disciples, this is a meal that has been celebrated by the Jewish people for hundreds of years. Jesus, all the disciples, they were all Jews, and they celebrated this meal that was called the Passover. At this point, Jesus changes the the, the meal and he, he explains it in a different way. And we know it as communion today. They knew it then as the Passover. We'll talk more about that later. But just understand what Jesus is saying. He says, before I suffer, before I die, verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And what I want us to understand is Jesus in this meal began to explain to his disciples his death. And he said, this piece of bread that you're going to eat, this represents my body that will be broken on the cross for you. He said, this cup that you're about to drink from, this represents my blood that will be shed for you on the cross. And he said, when you eat this bread, when you drink this cup together, remember, do it to remember me, remember that I died. And what I want us to understand is Jesus isn't just saying, remember the fact that I died when you celebrate communion, when you eat the bread and drink of the cup together. Don't just remember the fact that I died, but it's about remembering what Jesus accomplished when he died. And so today I want to talk to you about what Jesus accomplished on the cross that we remember and celebrate at communion. And now there's a lot we could talk about when it comes to Jesus' death on the cross. He accomplished so much for us and we don't have time to talk about all of those things. So I've Narrowed it down, we're going to focus on three things today that I want to share with you that we celebrate, that we remember when we take communion. Number one is this. Number one, He became our Savior. He became our Savior. Everybody needs a Savior. We cannot save ourselves. We need Him to be a Savior for us. I I can't save myself. I can't just do enough good things to kind of cover up my my bad things and I can't just kind of on balance do more good than bad and save myself. We we can't do that. We can't accomplish that. We need a savior. We needed Jesus to do this for us. And that's a little difficult for us because that that's kind of a shot to our pride. And some of us we're not very good at asking for help. No, I know I'm not the only one. It's okay. I you can act like I'm the only one, but I know I'm not the only one. Who has trouble. Sometimes, I mean, it's just little things. just kind of ruffles my feathers. Sometimes when we're leaving, my wife will remind me. 
hey, do you have your keys? Do you have your cell phone? Do you have your... It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, I don't need you to... You know how many times I've left the house? I know what I need when I'm... You know what I'm saying? It's just this pride, though. She's trying to help. I just prideful. I don't like to ask for directions. I know I'm not the only one. Some of you guys have a GPS. You're like, that's not for me. That's for other people. I don't, I don't need to see that. I know where I'm going. I remember the one time my wife's car broke down. It's about an hour away from here, and she had already, you know, made it back. And so, like the next day, I'm going to to pick up her car and, and to have it towed and all this. So I'm I'm leaving, you know. And she's, do you have your keys? Do you have your? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what I mean? yeah, I got I got everything I need. And I leave, and I'm on my way. And it's like I'd been there before. I knew where her car was. And so it's like I don't need to look on my phone to make sure I know the directions. I know where I'm going. You guys are ahead of me already. You know what happened? Yeah, I missed the exit. I didn't recognize it, and I just kept under. I finally realized I was lost, and by the time I did get on my phone and figure out the directions, it took me over two hours to get there when it should have just taken an hour. And then I get there, and the tow truck guy's there, and all this kind of stuff, and then I realized, yeah, I had my keys to my car. I drove there, but I forgot the keys to her car. It's just pride. I don't like to ask for help. But we need a Savior. We cannot save ourselves. We need Jesus to do that for us. We need Jesus to be a savior for us. We have to trust in what Jesus did on the cross that he died for our sins. And then the Bible says when we trust in Jesus as our savior, then we aren't punished for our sins. We don't get what we deserve to be separated from God for all of eternity in hell. The Bible says that when we trust in Jesus to save us, we get what Jesus deserves, which is relationship with God, which is a home in heaven when life on earth is over. We get what Jesus deserves, not what we deserve. Now, the truth is that doesn't really make sense to us, that we get what somebody else deserves, what they worked for. Imagine this for a moment. You're at work and you've been working there for a while and you show up on time. You get your work done. You, you, you dress right. You got the dress code down. You, you're doing your work. You meet all your deadlines. Like you, you're the perfect employee. You do it good. You do it right. You guys know what I'm saying. You, you, you're getting it done. And then there's that person at your work. It's just lazy. <laughs> they never show up on time. They don't, you're not even sure they shower. You know what I mean? Like, you're not even sure they're taking care of business there. You just want to get them some soap and deodorant, you know, for their birthday, a little gift basket. You know what I mean? Like, it's just they're never getting stuff done. They always miss the deadlines. You're not doing just your work. You're doing their work, too. You know what I mean? Like, and your boss, let's say, sits you down, the good employee, and them down, the lazy employee, on one day. And he talks, and he just boasts, and... You've done so well and you always get everything done and it's always on time and blah, 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 blah. And then he looks at the lazy person and he says, because of what they've done, you get a raise. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> you know, what are you talking about? They get a raise. That doesn't make any sense. The Bible says that when we trust in Jesus as our savior, that we receive forgiveness for our sins. It's, a, it, it's not on our goodness. I can't be good enough to save myself. Salvation isn't based on how good I am. It's based on how good Jesus is. And when we accept Jesus as our Savior, the Bible says that God covers over our sins. He forgives our sins. And we get the, the righteousness of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus covers over us. That's the message of the gospel. And God's doing everything He can to save us. He sent Jesus to die on the cross on our behalf because we need a Savior. But the thing is, we have to be humble enough to admit that we need a Savior. When we get stuck in our pride and we don't ask for help, we... Keep God at arm's length. We, we reject His offer. And the Holy Spirit is constantly drawing us. He's constantly calling to us. Constantly trying to bring us to Christ. Bring us to forgiveness and freedom and relationship with God. But the Bible says this, James chapter 4 verse 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud but He gives grace 
to the humble. And when we humble ourselves before God and admit we need a Savior, then Jesus gives us forgiveness and we get what Jesus deserves. We get a home in heaven when life on earth is over. We get forgiveness. We get freedom. Here's the thing. Here's what I want us to understand. That Jesus has done for us what we could never have done for ourselves. That's the gospel. And when we humble ourselves before God, we humble ourselves before Him and admit we need a Savior. We receive a Savior in Jesus Christ. When we celebrate communion, when we take the bread that represents His body and the cup that represents the blood that He shed on the cross, we remember what He accomplished on the cross. He became our Savior. And the second thing I want to share with you is this. Number one, He became our Savior. Number two... He made us a family. Number two, he made us a family. Now, families are a funny thing, kind of. I mean, they're the people that we love the most, right? We love them. They're our family, flesh and blood. We love them the most. But they are also the people who can annoy us the most. Uh-oh. <laughs> they are definitely the people that cost us the most. I mean, we know that my, my wife and I are expecting our first child due January 1st. And, uh, yeah, thank you. We're very excited. We're very, very happy. But my baby is the size of a gummy bear, and it's already costing me money, okay? Like, that baby going to have to get a J-O-B, right? You need to get a job. You better be cute. You better be doing ads for Gerber and Huggies. And I'm just saying. Now, it's family. We love family. But, but family is a, a, a funny thing, right? And here's what I want us to understand. This meal that Jesus shares with his disciples the people, the Jewish people, Jesus, the disciples, they're all Jews. They have celebrated this meal for centuries. It was called the Passover meal. Jesus takes this meal they've celebrated all this time and he, he says, the, this meal your whole life has pointed to the past and how God delivered his people from Egypt. The story of Moses and God delivering the people of Israel out of slavery in, in Egypt. It, it, that meal has always pointed to the past. Jesus takes this meal and he says, it now points to me. This meal now explains my death on the cross and how God is, is giving us the ultimate deliverance from the slavery of sin. That's Jesus is kind of rewriting the script, but for centuries they've all eaten this meal with their families. Then way back when it started, they sacrificed a lamb. Each family sacrificed a lamb. And they shared a meal together. They ate that lamb that was sacrificed. They took the blood from that lamb and they put it over the doorposts of their home. They literally marked their home with that sacrifice. And when the judgment of God came, it passed over the people of God. And that's why they called it the Passover meal. And they always celebrated with their family. Here's what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. Announced to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. This is the way it had always been. The disciples who are eating this meal in Luke 22 with Jesus. That they had eaten this same meal with their families their whole lives. And this time they're with Jesus. That would have been weird to them. That would have been strange. And what Jesus is saying is really simple, but it's really, really powerful. Jesus is saying, I am making you a family. As we share this meal, this bread represents my body. This, cu this cup represents my blood. This is all about creating a new family. And so that leads me to this question. I start to think, okay, Jesus is just, he's like making a new family from scratch here. Well, what makes people family then? And this is what, you know, here's the thing. I didn't play a lot of sports, but when I was younger, for a couple years, I played football. And I know some of you are looking at me right now like, football? <laughs> like, did he get lost on the way to the weight room? Like, did he, you know, I was fast, okay? I was fast. I was fast. The big people couldn't catch me. I was running for my life, <laughs> you know? Like, but I played, and you know, I just played for a couple of years, but when you start to, you go through all that with those people, they start, these are like my brothers, my teammates. They're, they're, they're like my brothers. I knew three ladies that... 
they introduced themselves as sisters. They weren't related at all. They just worked together for years. And they had shared so many common experiences and so many memories. They had shared all of these things. They started to feel like family. They introduced people. This is my sister. This is my sister. They weren't related at all. Think about the marriage relationship. There's no blood relationship between a husband and a wife, but that's the closest. Well, hopefully not too close anyway. Unless you're from a certain state. But anyways, we'll just move right on with that. But, uh, you know, that's the closest, most intimate relationship. There's no blood relationship there. Why? It's so close because there's so much shared experience, so much common experience. And what Jesus is saying is the common experience of you coming to the cross and humbly admitting that you need a Savior and the forgiveness of our sins that we received, the freedom from God that we received, we were delivered from addictions and from bondage, many of us, the story of how God has changed our lives. Jesus is saying that experience is going to be so powerful in your lives that everybody that experiences that will feel like family with everybody else. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. We are a family. Here at People's Church, when we go to with, through life with each other, through difficulties together, we do life together because we are a family. Jesus is saying, you have been made into a family. When we take communion, the bread and the cup, and we celebrate what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we remember and we celebrate that we're family. And many of us here today, we have amazing family. We know what it's like to have people that love us and that care for us and that support us. And there are many of us who have that blessing, and we know that, but there are many as well who don't. It makes me think of uh, the story of a girl named Rachel. My mother-in-law had the chance to meet this girl a couple of years ago. and Rachel has a very difficult story. She was literally discarded and abandoned by her family. When she was a baby, her biological parents decided they did not want to keep her. They didn't want her, and they placed her into a trash bag and put her in a dumpster and left her. And then the store right next to that, it was in an alleyway, the store right next to it, there was a husband and wife who worked there, and the wife was nagging the husband to take the trash out. You need to take the trash out. No, I'll do it later. No, you need to do it now. No, I don't want to do it now. I'll do it. This sounds like a familiar conversation, right? And as he leaves, he goes out into the alley, and he's putting the trash, and he hears the baby crying. He hears Rachel. Jumps into the dumpsters, throwing out the bags of trash, and he finds the little baby. And he rescues Rachel. She was taken from that dumpster and she found a family. She was provided a home and they cared for her and they loved her and they supported her and they were with her. And she found the, a relationship with God and the blessings of God and a family that the Lord gave her. And that's what God does. He rescues people. And if you're here today and you're going, Jason, the, the people in my life who are supposed to love me and who are supposed to care about me haven't. Maybe you're here today and you're carrying that baggage with you, that hurt. And that pain, the people, they were supposed to love you, but they rejected you. I want you to know today that you have a family at People's Church. I want you to know that we are here for you and that we love you and that we will walk with you through the process of healing and transformation in your life. There are so many here in this family who have been there too. And they found a place here where people love them and uplift them and care for them. And maybe you're here today and you're going, yeah, but Jason, you don't know what I've done. I hear you talking about acceptance, but you don't know the life I've lived. Maybe you're here today and during the, the darkest and most difficult times in your life, you've made decisions that you look back on today and you wish you could change. Maybe you're here today and you had an abortion. Maybe you're here today and during a difficult time in your life, you gave your body away and were involved in prostitution. Maybe you're a drug addict, a drunk Sleeping around in your life, one relationship and another, one person, one partner after another. And you're going, Jason, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the decisions I've made. 
But I want you to know this, that the grace of God is bigger than your greatest sins. I want you to know everybody needs a Savior. I want you to know this is not a message of condemnation. Nobody's pointing a finger at you trying to point out your sin. What we're saying is that I needed a Savior. You needed a Savior. All the people in this church who have experienced that, we're all saying we've been there too. We may not have all done the same things, but everybody needs a Savior. And you have a family here who will be with you, who will care for you, who will support you. You can experience What Jesus has available for you today. You can have a new family, a new life, a new hope. That's what Jesus is all about. When we celebrate communion, when we take the bread and the cup, what we remember is what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. That when he died on that cross, he became not just our Savior, but he made us a family. And this is an amazing family here at People's Church. This is a place where you can belong. Where you're accepted and where you're loved. We are here for you. When he died on the cross, he became our savior. He made us a family. And number three, number three is this. He gave us a new way to live. He gave us a new way to live. In Matthew chapter number 20, Jesus is talking about his death. And for the sake of time, we won't read the whole passage. But leading up to Matthew chapter 20 that we're about to read, Jesus was Talking about his death. And then Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 20, verses, starting in verse 25 through 28. Jesus said, but, or the Bible says, but Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. For even the Son of Man, and when Jesus says the Son of Man, I want us to understand Jesus is talking about himself. That's a title Jesus used to refer to himself. And he says, basically, so Jesus is saying, I came not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. I want us to understand this. We've got to have a little bit of like a history moment. I know that's not always the most exciting thing, but it'll really help us to understand this. So what Jesus is saying is in the days where Jesus and the disciples lived, they lived under something called the patronage system. And what that meant was the people at the top who had all the money, who had all the power and who had all the influence would at times help the people at the bottom. But there was a catch. When you at the bottom would get help from somebody at the top, you owed them gifts and favors for the rest of your life. So the people at the top would literally evaluate the people at the bottom. And they would look at somebody and they'd be like, you have nothing to offer me back, so I'm not going to help you. You don't have anything to give me, I'm not going to help you. They'd look at somebody, you have something to give back to me, I'm going to help you, but then you owe me for the rest of your life. It was all about what they could gain. They looked at people, they got into relationships, it's based on what they could get from other people. And here's what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to turn the whole world around. I'm going to turn the way the world works around. And when you come into relationship with me and you receive my forgiveness and my freedom, I am going to set you free so much that you will come to the point where you can live not for what you can gain from others, but what you can give to others. Jesus is saying, I'm turning the whole way the world works around. He is saying, it's all changing. I have a new way of living for you. And it's based on what I've done. Jesus gave everything for us. He lived for what he could give. I came not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. And and here's what the scripture says in Philippians 2, 3 and 4. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And I hear that scripture and I go, man, that's awesome. But I'm not very good at that. (laughs) And it's difficult at times. And when I started out in ministry a little over 10 years ago and I was traveling and I still travel today when I'm not here at people's church and preaching, I'm still on the road preaching at other churches and events and things. And when I started out though earlier, it was very, very difficult for me to trust God with developing and promoting my ministry. It it was hard, especially when I'd go in like to a room full of pastors at like a conference or something. It was so difficult not to just seek out the pastors with the biggest churches who could give me the best opportunities, who were the most well-connected, that could connect me with other people. It was was so hard not to just kind of look for the special people. It was so hard not to be like, I don't have time for you, don't have time for you, you can't help me, you can't. You know what I'm saying? I was trying to build something. I was trying to, but I wasn't trusting God with it. I was trying to do it my way. I was trying to sort of just take the thing, you know, by, by the reins and, and, and do it myself. And, and I got a piece of advice one time, and it was some of the best advice I've ever gotten. It was from a wise, wise old minister. And he just told me one day, Jason, he said, let God promote your ministry. And I thought about that, and here's what that looks like in a practical way. What that means is I had to change the way I did things. And I just went out and I started building relationships. Whoever God brought along my path, I met those people and I built relationships with those people and friendships with those people. And I stopped trying to find the best. I stopped trying to find the most well-connected. Stopped trying to find the most powerful. And I just let God do it. I built relationships. And then out of the relationships I built, I trusted God to build a network of ministry for me rather than me trying to create it on my own. And can I tell you something, man? God has blessed that in incredible ways. God has opened up doors for me that I never could have opened for myself. God has given me the ability to preach all over the world, and He allows me to preach right here on this stage. I go to a lot of churches. They're not all like people's church. There's a lot of good churches in the world, but man, they are not. This is a special place. God is doing something here. God is moving here. He's changing lives here. We are so blessed. I am so blessed to be a part of this church. We have an amazing leader. Pastor Herbert has incredible vision and a heart for the Lord. Man, God's doing something here. God has given me these opportunities. I never could have created them on my own. And the Bible is is saying this. Stop living for what you can gain, for what you can get, and live for what you can give. Here's what happens if you only seek out the best and the brightest, the best looking and the most well-connected and the most powerful and influential. What happens is we overlook the hurting and the lost and the lonely and the broken because they don't have anything to give back to us. When we only seek out people for what we can get, we lose sight of the hurting, the lost and the broken. Let me illustrate it this way. About six years ago, I met a young man named Alex. Alex was a very troubled young man. He was probably one of the angriest people I've ever met in my whole life, honestly. He just, at the drop of a hat, he'd just fly off the handle. He was very angry, uh, angry. over the next uh, couple of years. He started to make all kinds of horrible decisions. He was addicted to drugs, partying every weekend, drunk all the time. He was sleeping around and was sexually active, and his life was just in this huge, huge downward spiral. But God gave me a special relationship with Alex. I mean, he became like my little brother. And it wasn't just me. God brought a lot of other good, godly people into his life. And through a series of of events and God using all of the people he brought in, I mean, Alex's life was radically and drastically changed. Today, I I can tell you this. He's not addicted to drugs. He's not an alcoholic. He's not sleeping around. Today, he is married to a beautiful girl named Melissa. I got to do the ceremony. It was one of the coolest moments of my life. And God has turned his life around. He's changed his life. But when I met Alex, it was so easy for me to overlook him. And I'm so glad 
glad that God gave me the vision to see something in Alex and gave us a relationship. Because he had nothing to offer me. He was a broken, hurting 15-year-old boy who had nothing to offer somebody like me. But God changed his life. He turned his life around. And now God is using Alex. This is one of the craziest stories. Now as a 21-year-old, young married man with a baby on the way, Alex is the single largest financial supporter of my ministry. That I had to trust God with my ministry. I had to stop forcing everything to happen and say, God, you build my ministry. You provide for my ministry. And look what God did and what he did for me, he will do for you. When we trust in God and we live not for what we can gain, but for what we can give. What Jesus is saying is learn to see value in others and then add value to others. See value in others and add value to others. I'm so thankful for the people who saw value in me when I didn't have anything to give back to them. I remember when I was a college student, I wanted to be an evangelist. I was looking forward to it, but I wasn't one yet. I was just a punk little college kid. And Pastor Herbert, before he planted People's Church, was an evangelist for years. And he was successful in ministry, had a growing ministry, and he took me, a college student, let me travel with him, poured into my life, Shared experiences with me, wisdom with me, knowledge with me. I didn't have anything to offer him. I didn't have anything to give him. But he saw value in me and he added value to me. And I'm so glad for the people in my life that God has used to pour into my life. The Lord will bless you as you live for what you can give, not what you can gain. As you live a life, not selfishly, but selflessly before God. That's true freedom. True freedom is coming to the place where you don't have to worry about, I got to get mine, and I got to take care of me, and I got to get what's coming to me, and I got to get what... True freedom is being able to let go of all that. True freedom is coming to a place where you're so satisfied in life, in your relationship with Jesus Christ, that your relationship with your Savior and with your Heavenly Father so satisfies you and fulfills you that you don't have to live for what the world can give you because you've got what you are looking for in your relationship with God. And then you're able to live for what you can give to others. Maybe you're here today and you're single. And you've been in and out of relationships and you've been through some difficult times and, and, and you're going, man, I don't know if it's ever going to work. I don't know if I'm ever going to find somebody. And what I'm saying is think about how beautiful it is to come to a place in our relationship with God where we can live for what we can give to somebody else. And you can step into your next relationship as the Lord works in your life as a selfless person, not a selfish person. And you have the chance to step into a marriage someday with that special person that God brings into your life as a selfless person, living for what you can give to them in your marriage relationship, not what you can take from them. Maybe you're here today and you're going, man, I've been married 20, 30 years, maybe more. And you're going, to, it used to be that way. It was like when, when, when we were young, when we were first married, I, you're going, man, I remember it used to be that way. And what I'm saying is as we come to the Word of God today that God can restore that in our relationships. We can come to Jesus and trust in Him to satisfy our hearts so completely to the point that we're so filled up with what God is putting in our lives and His blessings and His love that we're able to live for what we can give, not what we can gain. And it's very difficult because we have to trust Him. It was hard for me. It was hard to trust God with my ministry. It was hard not to just force it all to happen and make it all happen. But that's playing God, not trusting God. When you're trying to just make it all work and you're trying to make it all happen, that's playing God, not trusting in Him. But the Lord has been faithful to me. 
He's provided for me. He has taken care of me. And I believe with all of my heart that what he's done for me, he will do with you. What he's done for me, he will do for you. God is there for you, to provide for you and to care for you. I'm so glad that the Lord brought me to a place in my life where I saw value in a kid like Alex. A kid that maybe a lot of people wouldn't have paid attention to, that a lot of people would have discarded. A lot of people would have thought, man, he's, it's too late. He's too far gone. He's too much trouble. I don't always get it right. I know I've overlooked other people, but I'm so glad that the Lord spoke to me and helped me to see something in that, that boy. God has changed his life. And I want you to know that what he's done for Alex, he can do for you. But what he did for Rachel, he rescued her. He can rescue you. Maybe you're here today and you're going, Man, I don't feel like anybody sees me. You're here today and you feel overlooked. You go, man, my hurts, my, my pains, my, my brokenness, my needs are going unmet. Nobody sees me. I want you to know today that God sees you. I want you to know today that He knows where you are. He knows the weight of the baggage that you're carrying. And He is strong enough to lift that off of your shoulders. He is big enough to set you free. He can deliver you. He can heal you. He can forgive you. He can set you free. What He did for Alex, what He did for Rachel, what He's done for me, what He's done for so many, He can do for you today. Today, you can begin to experience the forgiveness and the freedom in Jesus Christ. Today you can begin the process of transformation in your life that only Jesus can bring. Don't refuse Him. Don't push Him away in pride. Know today that you can accept Jesus as your Savior and experience a whole new way of living. When we celebrate communion, we take the bread represents His body, the cup that represents His blood. When we celebrate communion, we remember what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He became our Savior. He made us a family. And He gave us a new way to live. The message of the cross is Jesus is saying, you are valuable to me. I see you. And I want to have a relationship with you so much that I'm going to die so that you can live. I'm going to die so that you can have what I deserve that you don't deserve. I'm going to do for you what you could never do for yourself. That's the message of communion. That's the message of Jesus on the cross. Let's pray.